Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, of course, joined by none other than James Benj of CBS, which means only one thing, it is Inside Arsenal Extra Time. James, good to see you, my friend. How are you getting on? I'm great. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Still basking in the glory of my return to the press box, coinciding with a 5-0 win what a result. at the we weekend. We need to keep you there permanently. I know, that's what I was saying. I was saying I'm, I'm taking full credit for Arsenal's biggest win of the season. I think they uh, they put on a show for my my big grand entrance return to the press box. Yes, it was very nice being there. Would have been nicer if you were there, but but you weren't, of course. I was, um, no, I was in a wedding, at, I was at a wedding in Norfolk. Um, but That was fine um, at 3pm, wasn't it? The ceremony was at 3pm on the dot. Um, I believe... I might have this wrong, but I believe Eddie and Ketia struck the moment that the sort of ceremony ended, which I would like to think I know Eddie's dedicated. The hat trick as a whole, the whole hat trick is dedicated to his family. But I, I, I will double check with him. But I, I, I've sort of taken for granted that that opening goal was, was dedicated to Max and Sophie, um, the happy couple. Congratulations Thanks. to them. I, I know it will mean a lot to, to them that Arsenal got the three points because uh, both of them despise football uh, and were furious that I was even checking the score, I suspect. <laughs> uh, certainly will be furious now that they know that I uh, did not switch off my phone. Um, I didn't have the stream on, but I, I checked Twitter once or twice in the ceremony. Yeah, that's good. I remember my, this is way back when, so what, this must have been 2001, 2000. My brother was getting married and Arsenal, I think they were playing Middlesbrough during that wedding. Sylvain Viltor scored his first Arsenal goal. Oh, I remember I I'd signed up, this is way back when, before Twitter, social media, I'd signed up to Arsenal's official text message alert service to get text message alerts. It was ruinously expensive. When goal, probably was. And it also came, the goal alert came about 35 minutes late as well. I seem to remember, but I do remember my phone going off in my pocket and being alerted to the fact Sylvain Viltor had scored his first Arsenal goal during my brother's wedding service. So, uh, yeah, a long time ago that. Wow, very, very different times indeed. But no, it was a good win at the weekend. I thought they did well. It was a weird game. I won't spend too much time talking about it because I've already covered it all. But um, yeah, sort of first half an hour, it was just sort of defence versus attack training type stuff all a bit slow paced really from Arsenal and mm. didn't really hadn't really threatened but it you always felt like as soon as they scored one that was going to be it and they were going to go on and score plenty and this is exactly what you did I think when you play against a team like Sheffield United who were bad they were very bad they were not a Premier League standard team um so it's a type of performance from Sheffield United it made you think how on earth did they go like a minute were they a minute away from taking points against City and you know deep and into injury Spurs? time winning at Spurs and 
even Man United, United they, deep. they pressed, yeah. But they would, it was like they'd come not even for a nil-nil. They'd come just to avoid a, a really heavy defeat and they kind of failed on all counts <laughs> in the end and got what they deserved. But yeah, as soon as Arsenal made it 1-0, it was just it was just kind of a matter of how many were they going they were gonna get. And obviously a great, a great day for Eddie and Eddie and Ketia as well. So uh, so yeah, did you watch the highlights? I did watch the highlights, yes. I, I I'll be honest, I didn't watch the full game. Um hmm. I'll skip that one. Um but I think I think there's something important about at least turning those games into a proper shellacking. I think it it puts your mind at ease a bit, doesn't it, about the attack because as much as you sort of want this to be a team that scores three goals against mid-table opposition, a lot of teams don't. And Arsenal have not had like the hyper easy fixture list of a, or they haven't had as an approachable a fixture list as say Tottenham. And um, I think we might change our assessment of, of, of Arsenal's attack once they've had a few games against your Lutons, your Sheffield United's where you can actually, I'd say, put together a cricket score but um five for nothing um from an england perspective would be quite spectacularly excellent that way i think england would be happy with that right now um yeah i agree with you i think it was okay that, that was the sort of game where you wanted to just take advantage a little bit and go your goal your difference up and and they did that and i think now only aston villa have scored more goals than arsenal this season Ooh. in the premier league and when you think that's um they've done that without basically having their first choice front line together for well basically any of it um it's not too bad when we all kind of feel like they haven't really clicked into gear in the attacking sense yet. So, yeah, that's not too bad. It was a, it was a, it was a good performance and a good win. And sort of ten games in now, that Premier League table's looking really interesting. I think obviously Spurs still going strong. You know, at what stage do you do you start to consider Spurs as possible contenders? You know, we're ten games in now, so just over a quarter of a way through the season. Thirty-seven. Stage? 37. <laughs> no, that's harsh. I just, I don't, I, I don't consider did you, them. Did you hear Arsene Wenger talking about them yesterday? I did. He, yeah. he, he does that, doesn't he? I, I, I think that's the thing with Arsene where he doesn't necessarily, of course he wants Arsenal to finish above Tottenham, but I think he's a man that's very conscious of his own legacy and doesn't necessarily mind the idea of, um, a lot of other Arsenal managers struggling to finish above Tottenham after he spent so long doing so. Like they have had a, a very favourable fixture list. Like if you look at the XG table, they're sixth or seventh. They've, they've built up such a points advantage. I, I, I don't want to crow because I think it. The one thing I would say is they play fun football. If you're a neutral, I know a lot of Arsenal fans won't enjoy watching them, but they do play fun football. Um, they there is a. a you know, it, it, it's a fun place to be. The fans like Ange, and I can see why. There's a little bit of a feeling for me that it feels a little bit like how Arsenal fans got a little, got carried away early in Unai Emery's reign. It's good, though, and I think this team will probably get top four. But yeah. I, I think they fade away, and I think it becomes Arsenal and maybe Liverpool chasing City or trying to keep City in their rear view mirror. Um, such a tough run for Spurs over the next few weeks. And I think yeah, that's really that's going to be really interesting to see now they get. If on. they came through that, like I'll have to hold my hand up and say I've got them wrong. What, yeah. what, what do you think? I just don't see it yet. I think if they can, if they have a really good stroke of luck and they keep keep this team, you know, together, and mm. you have to admit they don't have European football to worry about, they don't have Carabao Cup to run, worry about. You know, basically until January now, it's just Premier League. That's it. So they have got that advantage. And I think they've got a good team. I think their recruitment's looked really smart. Obviously, Madison's playing really well. Son, we know, is, you know, basically the best finisher in the Premier League, most yeah. clinical finisher in the Premier League. Just does he just I don't know what the XG numbers are. You sure I'm sure you it's, know better than me, but they they just seem to far outdo their XG to me. And Son especially he just seems to be such a great finisher. And when you got him up front, and I love Van de Ven by the looks of him, I think he looks like a really, really good defender. And so I don't, I don't see them falling away massively. I don't see them challenging Arsenal and Manchester City and probably Liverpool in terms of the top three. But I think they've got a good shout of the top four, which is, um, you know, for them will be a very good season. But I think when you look at that league and you look at that top four, and, and I mean, I think it's Villa are fifth at the moment, aren't they as well? Mm. And I think I look at those teams as all being capable of 
taking points off each other. I haven't really seen that mm. in the last couple of seasons. Like if Arsenal, you know, Arsenal lost to City last year, home and away, that was really costly because you kind of felt no one else was going to take any points off Liverpool, off Manchester City last season. I don't really see that. We've already seen City lose twice this season anyway. Mm. And I can see them struggling against Spurs. I can see them definitely struggling against Liverpool again. Um, you know, even, you know, Villa Park, St. James's. But, but I, I just don't think it's going to be one of those runaway seasons this season. I think there's a lot more teams that are capable of taking points off everyone else. And, um, you know, for Arsenal, I think that's probably going to be a benefit because it might not make a draw in certain games feel quite as costly as, say, last season, when you basically felt like a defeat if you lost last season because you knew you, you knew Manchester City were going to win. I think you're totally, totally right there. On the Spurs XG, yeah, they have 22 goals from less than 18 expected goals. But like, yes, yeah, Son is a big part of that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like City are a little more vulnerable right now. Maybe again, you know, they are the the masters of getting everyone fit and firing in March and April. And I wonder then, but I certainly agree with you that that Spurs, who are normally good for three or four points against uh, City every season, they feel like a team that can, at home in particular, can really spook the bigger, better beasts of the Premier League. And um, I think they have a moment where they, they pretty much play in March or April, Liverpool, Arsenal, City, in a in a very condensed run of games. I don't think that will be the moment their title challenge all falls together, but I think it may well be the moment where they become the sort of Premier League's kingmakers. And um, yeah, the, if they keep progressing, that that North London derby in at, at Tottenham Stadium with the energy that Postacoglu and this squad are bringing, that's going to be one of the toughest North London derbies in in a long time, even compared to when that Antonio Conte team was hung was uh, humming humming. Humming, that's quite a phrase. I couldn't, I couldn't quite work out what word <laughs> I wanted to say there. Hunging? No. Right, we've said enough nice things about Spurs to start off an inside <laughs> Arsenal show. Um, but I do think it's relevant. I think it's definitely important in terms of how this season is going to play out, how the other teams in and around the top four compete. Um, and Arsenal got a huge game coming up against Newcastle on Saturday, which when you talk about sort of intense games and atmospheres, that's definitely going to be one. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about that, but um, West Ham tomorrow night, Carabao Cup. Interesting game, I think. On a, for a, there's a there's a few side stories. Obviously, Declan Rice. What Mikel's going to do in terms of the team selection, how much of a focus he's going to have on that Newcastle game at the weekend. But he's been sp- speaking today at Colney about the importance of the game, and you know he says in terms of the Carabao Cup and how much it matters to him, he says he lives it exactly the same as the Premier League. He has the same feeling in his tummy, the same uncertainty, the same way to prepare. I just want to win the game, that's for sure. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on the Carabao Cup. I had a few questions about it in the show I did this morning. And I think this is a big competition for Arsenal. And I, I, I would really like to see Arsenal go far in this competition and win this competition. I think it's there for them to really push on here. If they can get through this game, get a favourable draw in the next round, you know, suddenly you're right at the latter stage of this competition already before it almost feels like the season's got going. And This team, although it might be the Carabao Cup, this team does need a trophy. It would be mm. really beneficial, I think, for Arsenal to win a trophy with this team. And, you know, I... If Arsenal do get to the final of this competition, are at Wembley, you know, that's going to be a big, big occasion, no matter who it's against and what competition it is. And um, I, I think it'd be, you know, I'm really up for Arsenal winning this competition. I don't know about you. Plus, of course, you know, winning a trophy at Wembley in February is is great preparation for doing the exact same thing again in June. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, so I, I certainly am of the age where I've been, I've been raised on not caring about the Carabao Cup. Um, you know, my view on the Carabao Cup historically has been give me the best the Academy's got. Let's have a look at that. Um, even now, I sort of like see a Mohamed El Neni or a Cedric on in the squad, and I'm like, no, that's not, this isn't for them. We should have such a small squad that we have to fill it with Academy players. I like seeing Charles Sago Jr. not, not get past the ball by Ben White. Um, however, I agree with you. Uh, quite a lot because this you know we, 
Arteta has won a trophy, but like this team, as we understand it, has not. I know Arsenal won the 2020 FA Cup, but I mean, and I haven't done the maths here, but Saka, um, I can't really think of many other players from that Saka team. didn't even play in that game, did he? He was left didn't out. I think, did Eddie come on? I think Eddie might have came on. Come on. I mean, there certainly is that picture, isn't there? Those two and, and Joe Willock and Reese Nelson were, mm. were there. But, you know, as you were sort of saying with Saka, maybe not coming on, Eddie maybe coming on. They don't, they didn't win that competition. Aubameyang did and Xhaka and Ceballos and Emi Martinez. Those were the sort of players that, that define that competition. So yeah. it matters a lot to win, of course. You know, the, the Carabao Cup is not the be-all and end-all. And I've been thinking a lot about and this goes back to what we're saying about Spurs and what Potts used to say was, does the Carabao Cup, does a Carabao Cup change, you know, what what we've achieved, what they'd achieved in that great period for Tottenham? Like looking back, yes, it does. You can't know at the time because you, of course, you have to put all your eggs in the baskets of the Premier League and the Champions League. And if you said to me, winning the Carabao Cup would cost Arsenal six points in the league, uh, you know, I would say, okay, chuck us out of the Carabao Cup. Thank you. But it doesn't work like that. You don't you don't know until you're a year gone, until Arteta's gone and this team's broken up, whether it would have mattered to you to win the Carabao Cup. If Arsenal win a much bigger competition, I don't, you know, I would I would never care about how many Carabao Cups they haven't won. Mm-hmm. But it it matters to get into that winning habit. I think this team need to have some experience of a really serious trophy, not the community shield of hoisting that high. And they need to get that addiction to winning. If that comes in the Carabao cup, so be it. It's very obvious, you know, it always seems to help city. It helped those Mourinho teams, didn't it? To just, just get that taste. So they wanted more, they wanted better. And look, there are an awful lot of Arsenal supporters who have just never seen that competition won and have some bad memories. And, um, yeah, more so than normal, I think there's a, a real value in this competition. And um, I'd like to see Arteta go for a strong-ish team and and give it a go and and, and try and come try and come away from this tough game victorious. I think West Ham will rotate as well. I mean, they have almost a more grueling schedule than Arsenal with with that horrible Europa League Thursday Sunday thing to consider. Yeah, yeah, I'm certainly not suggesting Arsenal go full strength for this game and like, you know, risk Saka, Martinelli, Declan Rice, players like that for it, especially ahead of that game against Newcastle. But I just feel that I don't want it to be a game where it kind of finishes at 90 minutes with Arsenal not really having got into the game, kind of got brushed aside by a stronger, more physical West Ham side and just going out a bit meekly because I do think there's a big opportunity there to to get a trophy early doors. And you talked about Mourinho there, and it's, it's they, that's always kind of held up as the classic example of the Carabao Cup or the League Cup being beneficial to a team because Mourinho did it with his first trophy and he always pointed to how important that was. And I do think it would be important to this team. You know, you talk about that 2020 FA Cup win, and you're right, there was no real involvement in this current team with that win. There was no, there, And there wasn't even fans in the stadium. You know, Arteta had that win, but he wasn't able to celebrate it with fans and yeah, you know, I do. There's a real, a real need, I think, just to get something to show for this real improvement in Arsenal. And as Mikey says here, he says, forget forget this competition being bottom of the list. One game at a time. This is a great chance to win another trophy. Some big teams, maybe City, already out. This is a huge chance. Go strong with a few changes and progress. And that's kind of where I sit when this is like. Definitely, I want this. To, I don't want it to be a totally weak team. I want it to be a strong team, not the strongest available, but a strong team that has a good chance of beating a very decent West Ham side at home. Um, and that's kind of how how I see it. And it's going to be interesting to see what Mikel does. What, what do you think when you think of you know who might start this game? Who, can, who, who are you sort of envisaging in your head who starts this one? Um, I thought it was interesting that Gabriel didn't start on Saturday. And I wonder if he comes in, Saliba gets the rest, um, and you sort of balance out the back four that way, where that's, you know, Tommy Asu, maybe Ben White's the one to get the rest. Um, further forward, I think Trossard, Ready and Raring. Uh, I, I would probably 
I'm wondering whether I would play one of Saka or Martinelli. And I think just because it's Newcastle, probably not, but have all those guys in the squad, um, maybe hold. Actually, no, go with Nketiah as well. Go with the hot hands. Go with the players that are in form. Um, and and really, though, like, yeah, I mean, look at your team. I like the idea of that. If I can also turn to a Saka on the bench, uh, a Martinelli on the bench, if the game's there to be won late on, like, go, go and win it. Um, maybe even add a little bit of ballast to that that midfield. I mean, you've, you've gone for a team without Declan Rice. I presume that's your team because... Charles, you know that he's going to start Declan Rice back at the London Stadium. I can't see him starting Declan Rice. He was talking about him in the press. Did you see what he said today about him in the press? Saying, yeah, he's definitely in contention to play and it was a beautiful thing. But I think when you have a list of the most important players in this Arsenal team now, I mean, if Declan Rice isn't at the very top, he is definitely in the top three. And with that game against Newcastle, I know Mikel said in the press today that his focus is on West Ham. He's not even thinking about Newcastle. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> and I just, I would be really surprised. I think Declan Rice will be on the bench, like, and and he tends to do this in the Carabao Cup. There'll be strong players on the bench. I don't, you know, I can't see it's going to be a Wenger like Carabao Cup. It won't be full of kids on the bench. It'll be full of, you know, Saka, Martinelli, Declan Rice, players like that, Odegaard on the bench. But I don't think he'll start. I do look at this team that I've gone for, and this is obviously just me predicting. It's, no, it's nothing based on fact. I do look at Ahmed Field and wonder if that's a little bit light. You know, he might well go with Eddie as a striker and put put Havertz in there in place of one of maybe Smith Rowe Vieira. And I, but then, if you're not going to play Smith Rowe Vieira in this game, when are you going to play him? And um, so yeah, and I I think this is a decent side. I mean, you could put, potentially play Trossard up front as well, so he does have mm. options. You know, in defence, he went with Kivior at left-back against Brentford and he had Tommy Asu at centre-back. You know, he could flip that round this 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 time. Although Tommy Asu, I think, starts against Newcastle. Yeah. I'd be surprised 100%. So maybe Zinchenko could start this game. It, it's the talk of the town, isn't it? Is this a game to bring Zinchenko? I mean, he won't, but this feels like a game to bring Zinchenko in as the left eight or an eight of, of some description. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he could do, but I highly doubt that because we've just not mm-hmm. seen it. Just doesn't feel like it's something that he's considering, even though you know the rest of us all think it's probably a pretty good option. <laughs> he's got lots of options. I think you know you look at the squad now and you look at the strength of it, and he does have a lot of options to have a really strong team out, whatever he goes for. And even if he does, which I think we all expect he will, think about the Newcastle game when choosing this eleven on Wednesday night. There's there's so many options there, and you know Brentford was a strong team. I can't imagine we're going to have another. Charles Sago Jr. moment in this one. I think he, if he's unlikely, he might be on the bench, but I don't think we'll see one of those younger players starting because um, there is definitely options there and players who need minutes. It was good to see Smith Rowe play the weekend. Uh, I thought I'd called for it in the build up to that game. I said it felt like one way if you're going to bring Smith Rowe in for a Premier League start, that was the, the perfect game given the type of sort of formation and setup that we thought Sheffield United would go for. Um, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but I thought he played all right for his yeah. first start in what since April 2021 or wherever it was, um, and it'll be good to sort of build on that momentum on Wednesday night. I, th- I think Vieira starts surely. Vieira starts in this game. I, th- I just think Jorginho. Do you, do you really think he'll play party? Uh, Rice and Bryce, sorry, not party. Yeah, I think he will. You think he starts Declan Rice? Yeah, I because I, I agree with you that you. But, you know, managers always say this to us. Because I always feel like journalists are more worried about injuries than managers. Um, you know, some players have to play every three days. It's just part of the job description. And Declan Rice has been playing every three days for a while now. He doesn't get injured. He keeps himself in top nick. Um, and I think to an extent, like, he will just want to, you know, it will matter to him that he gets to to kind of, walk back through the front doors of the London stadium. I'm sure he would get a brilliant reception. It's quite some very loud people on social media. Um, I think a lot of West Ham fans admire him greatly. And yeah, I think sometimes you do just have to sort of let players have those moments. Um, And I'm sure you'd get a brilliant game from him. And hopefully with Rice on form, you can then uh, take him off 
on the hour to the adulation of the London Stadium uh, and wrap him up in cotton wool. That's what I... So I would swap him in for Jorginho because it wouldn't swap uh, shock me at all, especially based on how well he played St. James's Park last season, if Jorginho's in the 11 um, for, the, for the game on Saturday. Is it afternoon yeah, or evening? That, Saturday, 5.30. That is a very good point, actually. Yeah, I think Jorginho does play in that game at Newcastle. Yeah, I think it'll be... It'll be an Odegaard, Rice and Jorginho midfield yeah. in that game. So, yeah, you are right. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. But having also just sat here and sort of waxly recall about the importance of the Carabao Cup, if Declan Rice starts and gets injured in this game, I'd be absolutely fuming oh, uh, about it. So, um, One player who we know is not going to be playing is Thomas Partey. Um, I wanted to talk about these. I thought these were really interesting comments from Mikel Arteta about Partey today at the press conference. In terms of the time scale for the injury, he said, I think he'll be out for weeks. I don't know how long, but he's got another appointment today. And we'll see more after that. And then this was the interesting one. When he talked about is there's wider concern about his injury record. He says it is a big concern because when Thomas is fit and available, he's been part of the team. We've seen the results and the impact he's had. This season, we have, we have more protection, especially for that reason, because we know in the last two seasons what has happened and the result it had on the team. We had to address that. And now it has happened. And he goes on and says it can happen in football, you know, gutted for him and and all that. But I thought those comments there were really interesting where he's basically said, you know, the big or a very big focus for Arsenal this summer was protecting themselves against Thomas Partey's injury record. And it's the first time I've really heard Mikel talk like that. And it's clear indication that behind the scenes, you know, they have, you know, it has it, been a big talking point, a big conversation point. And it sort of, again, just points towards the summer with Thomas in terms of what Arsenal are going to do and the decision they're going to have to make on him. We all know how brilliant a footballer he is. We know when he's playing and how much of an impact he has on this Arsenal team. Arteta talks about it there. and you know We'd all love him to be fit. And you know it'd be one of the first names on the team sheet for me on Saturday away at St. James's Park if he was fit. But this is such an ongoing thing. And a lot of people get in touch with me and say, it's too much focus on parties' injuries. I think I've got a comment here from um, Nike Lombambo, who says, I feel Thomas Partey has been very disrespected by both Arsenal fans and outsiders. Declan Rice has been amazing for us, worth every penny, but on the ball, he still couldn't tie Partey's laces. I feel because of the injuries, Partey's football ability has been questioned alongside his ability to stay fit. It's going to be a mammoth task to replace Partey. Is there anyone you feel could generally replace him? We'll talk about that in a second, but I don't feel like he's been disrespected by Arsenal fans. I think Arsenal fans know how good Thomas Partey is, but, mm. you know, it's hard not to get frustrated by the constant string of injuries because you just want him fit and you just can't rely on him to be fit. And it's so frustrating. And people are pointing to Gabriel Jesus saying, why is he being treated so differently to Thomas Partey in terms of another injury? But you look at Gabriel Jesus' injury, it was a really significant knee injury that he got. He came back and then he had a bit of a setback with that same injury. Mm. And obviously this one is just, it's hamstring, but it's, it's nothing like Thomas, who's basically from the moment he walked through the doors, We've had this situation with him every, what's felt like every couple of months, barring last year, which was a better season from him. Um, what do you think about it? And what did you think when you saw these comments? I heard these comments from Mikel. It's 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 notable that Mikel Arteta, a uh, coach that's so guarded, talking about injuries, and we say this all the time, it's impossible to get a timescale out of him, let alone a deeper assessment of a player's fitness. And that's exactly what we've got with Partey. He's not telling the world anything they didn't know. We saw in January that Arsenal's business partly was based around, we, you know, if we're going to win the title, we need to have insurance for if Partey goes down and they couldn't get Caicedo and, and Jorginho is, was maybe not quite that. Declan Rice, you know, going back to that question, it's probably true that he doesn't have the ball-playing qualities of, of Thomas Partey, but you know what, like we talk about Partey's abilities. I don't want to dive into cliches, but one of the biggest abilities is availability. And yes, it was a bit better last season, but there were games that, you know, we spoke last week about how we, they've got thousands of minutes fewer from him than they have from, from Gabriel. Simply put right now, I don't think you're at a stage if you're Edu and Mikel Arteta where it is responsible to plan around having Partey fit for more than 30 games in the season. And of course, you don't know when they're going to land, but you need to 
think of him in a way that's not dissimilar to the way that Arsenal had to sort of think about Jack Wilshere. I know Wilshere missed a lot more games, but you could never plan. You could, you should, you should never have been planning for Wilshere to be fit. You should never plan for Partey to give you 15, 20 games in a, in a row in the Premier League where he is available and you can start him if you wish. And I think we have to say that's even the case with Declan Rice there. And part of the, part of the appeal of signing Rice was you can still use Partey and hopefully you can actually, you know, rest him when he needs to be rested. It's not happening. And the injuries are getting more and more frequent. And what's the greatest predictor of future injuries? Past injuries. So Mm. right now, I think Arsenal are at a stage where in purely footballing terms, I think they need to start thinking of Partey's availability as a bonus, not something that they can expect or price in. Um, I think from Partey's perspective, again, we spoke about this last week. You know, if he's fit to join, he, 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 I know he's worked hard. You and I know people who, who know the hard work he's done on his fitness over the last few years. Maybe there needs to be something a bit more profound or maybe it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, I think Arsenal then, yeah, Arsenal, Partey, they all need to start planning around what they do if he's, only available intermittently between now and the end of the season. Yeah. Well, I think these comments basically say that Arsenal have done that, haven't they? Yeah. They've, they've sat down and someone they've decided, well, we, we cannot, like you said, rely on Thomas Partey being fit or expect Thomas Partey to be fit for the majority of games. We have to protect ourselves. And they've done that. Like that That question here was talking about the mammoth part, uh, task of replacing Thomas Partey. I think they have. I think Declan Rice is the replacement for Thomas Partey. Mm. You know, I don't think they've brought Declan Rice in to be a number eight. I think they brought him in to be a number six and to be the replacement. Yes, he's not got the ball playing skills yet of Thomas Partey, but I think a lot of people are downplaying the ball playing uh, skills that Declan Rice has got. I think he has got the ability to to split the lines, as we say that Thomas Partey does so well. Maybe not quite as frequently and maybe not quite as skillfully as Partey does, but Declan Rice is a lot. Of, is we a saw lot it on Saturday. Than- yeah, we, we did the that first goal, and I saw someone question that, saying it was a fluky cross. I don't think it was. I think he did whip that into Eddie purposely, the way he did it. And mm-hmm. been, there was a couple of other occasions when he did it during the game as well. And, um, you know, he's still learning. He's not. He's far from the finish arc. And I think that's what's so exciting about Declan Rice is his ability to learn and to improve season by season. And, you know, I th- Arsenal brought him in to be Thomas Partey's replacement. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So I don't think there's a sign-in is going to happen this summer to replace Thomas Partey. I think a signing will happen this summer in central midfield to to complement what Arsenal have already got in mm. in that midfield. Um, and it is a shame what's going on with Thomas. And, um, and this one particularly was so frustrating, wasn't it? It was just like he just got himself that fit. He went away, as we spoke about on last week's show, didn't we? It just felt like that was one international break he really could have done without going on. Now, we'll Here's never... a question for you. Yeah. Given what we know now and given the, like, the fact that we we know that Arsenal signing Thomas Partey midway through the pandemic was a big financial hit, required the owner's support. Um, given what Arsenal have got from him, would you, if you could, if I put you in a time machine and sent you back, would you still do the deal? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're just literally wanting me to be aggregated now, don't you? And headlines. Well, I I, I think I'd do the deal now. Yes, I would do the deal now because I don't think you can, you know, that, that was a really exciting deal to be done that's signing a top player who didn't have previous record mm. of injuries so yeah I, I absolutely would would still do that deal because he's such a good player and what he's what he would have brought to the team obviously i'd have liked the few years afterwards for it turned out differently and for him yeah. to be fit constantly um 
but I still would have done that deal because I think he's such a fabulous footballer. And we've seen that from him as well when he's been fit. He's given us some so many good performances that um, I think that's what makes it doubly frustrating though, isn't it? Because you just want him fit all the time yeah. to be able to do what he does all the time because you just know he improves Arsenal when he's in this team. But I thought those comments from Mikel today were really, really interesting in terms of potentially the long-term outlook when it comes to, to Thomas Partey and Arsenal. We know in the last summer, you know, had a really decent offer come in that it probably would have been something that Arsenal looked at and discussed. That didn't happen, but, you know, with his contract situation, the way it is, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Thomas um, at the end of this season, I think. Right, so I just wanted to spend a little bit of time because I know this is something that really interests you. You would have been getting your alerts on your phone did it? Did you get an alert saying Arsenal penalty? On no, you didn't. No, because I would immediately have tweeted out the piece we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fabio Vieira took it. This one was a little bit different because Eddie did have it in hand, obviously, and then Fabio came to him and said, uh, "Can I have it?" And Eddie, <laughs> being the way he is, gave it to him, which is very, very nice. That Fabio just. I th- I'm not sure if his wife had had the kid at that point, was about to, but they have had the kid now. I saw the picture on Instagram of a little baby hand in Fabio's hand. Um, so it's another different penalty taker for Arsenal this season. Now, on screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, I've brought up a couple of questions that James asked Mikel at a press conference before Chelsea, wasn't it? Before Chelsea, that, I was hoping wrote... they'd get a penalty then. Yeah, and you wrote a piece. They should have got a penalty then. <laughs> they wrote you wrote a piece on Arsenal's different penalty takers and you know what it could mean and how beneficial it could be to having so many different options that a goalkeeper, mm. a goalkeeping coach, you know, when they're sitting down and working out what they can do, you know, they can't really plan for it because they don't know really who's going to take it on any given day. So how why are you so intrigued by the whole penalty thing when it comes to Arsenal? Well, I mean, if we start by by putting some meat on the bones there, that's now since Bukayo Saka stepped up, and you remember this game, Chelsea away, the 4-2 win. So the last minute, Mikel Arteta is expect, expecting Gabriel Martinelli to take the penalty. Saka takes it. The first penalty since Euro 2020, scores it. There's been 12 penalties since. Now with Fabio Vieira, that's six different takers. Saka has taken the most, but Gabriel Jesus has taken one. Martinelli's taken one. Erdegaard, Havertz, Vieira. It's clearly one I'm missing. Um, Enketia hasn't. Jorginho hasn't. I mean, there's a lot of potential penalty takers in the squad that we haven't even gone through yet. What I find intriguing is if you go and compare that to the top clubs and City had um, penalty, of course, this weekend. Erling Haaland took it. Liverpool, Mo Salah has taken every penalty he's been on the pitch for since the start of the 2020s Premier League season. Do you remember there was a moment with Salah where every people had an idea that he always goes bottom left? Um, how do you? How can you possibly prepare for an Arsenal penalty kick when you have pretty much no idea who's taking it. I think that unpredictability is a little bit of a swing factor now that coaches more and more and more are preparing for penalties. And it will be ultra, ultra intriguing if Arsenal get to the Champions League and they have that high stakes shootout. For one, Arsenal are going to have a bunch of players who have taken a penalty in a competitive scenario. Now, I know that Fabio Vieira's the stakes weren't the highest, but it is incredibly helpful to have done that in front of a crowd. Everyone always says, don't they? I've, how many times have we seen England players say you can't really practice for penalties at a tournament? Well, this is great practice. Um, the other side of it, which I really like, and this is a reference to Fabio, um, you don't get many sort of 0.8, you don't get many time games and many opportunities in the game where you have an 80% chance of scoring a goal. So Havertz gets one as a sort of narrative boost to his Arsenal career. So did Saka. Now Fabio Vieira is sort of, it seems like Fabio Vieira has gone up to Eddie and Ketchum and said, Eddie, um, my partner's about to have a baby. Would you mind if I take a penalty so that I can celebrate? It's really like, it's a great way of providing this sort of momentum boost and getting people a bit G'd up, a bit confident. I really like it. I think it's really interesting and it may make zero difference to Arsenal. Um, but it's interesting that sort of Arteta basically says there's a list, but no no one follows the list. 
we just mm. sort of do what we feel like i like it you know it's a it's a it's a moment where as a footballer i think your head just has to be in the right place to take a penalty and arsenal clearly seem to be thinking let's get our head in the right place rather than let's worry too much about you know the hierarchy and who is the who is the player that gets all the goals i mean which way do, do you think there's a right way or is it just a curio well, I think the right way is just scoring the penalty. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, well, they have scored every one bar one. Yeah. Saka's miss against West Ham. So yeah, it works. So yeah, I'm as long as it works, I'm I'm fine with it. I admit when Havertz stepped up at Bournemouth, I was really worried, just because I felt like that almost would have done him. Well, I think it would have done him more harm than good had he mm. missed that. You know, it was there was an awful lot of pressure on him to score that penalty. Fair play, he stuck it away. Um, I you know I had no issue with the Vieira one this weekend. Obviously, it was very apparent by his celebration immediately it became clear why he was taking it um I think it was really nice of Eddie and Ketia when he had a chance to sc- score four <laughs> goals in a Premier League game to actually do it I know a lot of strikers who would have been like jog on are <laughs> you having that so fair play to Eddie for doing it um it actually made me feel slightly in the long term slightly less disappointed that I've left Eddie and Ketia on my FPL team bench <laughs> at the weekend oh, so instead of missing out on 22 points I only missed out on 17 points um so yeah no i think i yeah as long as it as long as it works i've got no issue with it i'm sure there is you know in, in really sort of high states games we're not going to see them do that sort of thing it'll be no. it'll be odegaard or saka won't it i think those are certainly the two top uh, top of the list when it comes to priorities but it's definitely nice having those different options and i think we you know you saw in the community shield shootout the quality of arsenal's penalties they've, they've got a lot of good penalty takers in that team um yeah. and they i think they won they won the emirates cup on a penalty shootout as well didn't they at the emirates against Sevilla. aaron ramsdale uh, saving quite excellently yeah and um and so yeah they've got some good penalty takers in there so i'm yeah as long as it as long as the ball keeps going in the net i'm very happy obviously eddie kind of in that conversation there and big day for him uh, on saturday um, fabulous hat trick. I mean, the third goal was that. It was weird being there. The, the noise, and you can even hear it in the in the just the highlights when you watch it. The roar when that goal goes in, it's a kind of goal roar, but it's also a, what the bloody hell did I just see? <laughs> roar. It was like he, he can't. Eddie doesn't do that. You can. It was it, that you could really hear that around the stadium. Everyone immediately talking to each other. Like my God, Eddie and Ketty has just scored from twenty five yards. It was. Just the stunned noise of a crowd celebrating a goal that they thought they didn't really think the player who scored it had it in him to do that. We've just never really seen him do that. And it was it was clearly a goal of a very confident striker. Um and fair play to him. You know, I have got a question here on Eddie that um from C Lord said another question for Charles and James. I think I'm right in saying Eddie has never scored a league goal as a sub. That's wrong because he scored against Fulham this season as a sub didn't he? He definitely, yeah. that, he definitely come on in that game. So I think that was the first goal he scored as a sub. Um, but then he continues saying he looked off the pace against Sevilla, but sharp against Sheffield United. Appreciate the former team uh, better than the latter though. Do you think yeah. Eddie needs to improve as a sub? And is that something that can be learned or coached? Which I thought was quite interesting. You know, can you specifically be coached to have more of an impact as a substitute? You know, we know how football nowadays especially it's all about the fine margins and mm. there's coaches for everything pretty much i you know is there a substitutes coach i think mean, i don't i've never heard that myself that there is but it wouldn't surprise me if some manager does do that in the near future and that it sort of adds to a coaching staff someone like that you know specifically for someone to come on and make a big big impact as a substitute I mean, I feel like this is a question that for starters we kind of need to steal for ourselves and take to Mikel Arteta because mm. I mean, certainly, you know, I hadn't, I'd, I'd noticed that, you know, we, we know that Nketiah doesn't always have these great games off the bench. I think that's sometimes why fans find him quite frustrating because often yeah. he's coming into a situation where Arsenal need another goal and he, he doesn't. I don't understand why that would be the case with Nketiah because he's not like, you know, a Jorginho, a player that's going to be involved a lot, like that, that probably needs to get up to the pace of the game. Eddie's job is largely kind of ball comes to you, mate, have a shot, try and score. Um, but I, I mean, Arteta is really like particularly conscious of, you know, the role of substitutes and calling them finishers, isn't he? And impactors, not finishers. Impactors, yes. Yeah. Eddie's both. Eddie's a finisher as well. Um, 
yeah, it, it doesn't quite work with Eddie as well when he comes off the bench. And Arteta must be conscious of that. Um, there are certainly there are players that I, I you can see in that squad that really suit that bench role. Trossard is the one that I immediately think of. Tommy Asu as well. I think El Nenny's actually always quite good when he comes off the bench. But yeah, don't you just like kind of hear this question and go, yeah, that's that's one for a presser sometimes. That is, that is one for a presser. <laughs> I think I thought it was a really good question when I saw it. Sorry, um, we haven't it, answered it, but we'll try and get Mikel to answer it for yeah, you. We will, we'll put it to Mikel Arteta. That's the uh, next best option. Um, there was another one on Charlie Patino um, uh, asking about if he, had a few, if he has a future here. Another good, I think he got an assist again at the weekend. Mikel was actually asked about Patino today in the presser. I, I didn't see who it was. I, I, I immediately thought Art, but... Uh, yeah, probably. I'm not sure. Um, it says there is always a pathway to get back. And when we make decisions on those players, it is always to keep an eye on them and see if they can evolve the squad in a way. And the first thing that we do is look internally. Um, so in terms of if he has a future, so I don't know. I mean, at the end of last season, I thought no, because I, I knew that the the club were looking. There was discussion mm. going on for Charlie to leave on a permanent basis. You know, that had kind of been agreed on. And then that changed as the summer wore on. And it was the decision was sort of changed to be like, okay, we're going to give him another season out on loan. We're going to come back. He'll have a year left in his contract. And then we're going to make the final decision. I kind of look at from Charlie's point of view and from his people's point of view, it's almost like, why would you sign now with Arsenal? Why would you sign that new contract? He's had a really good year last year at Blackpool. He's having a really good year this year at Swansea. He'll have loads of options, I imagine, come the summer, especially if he continues his form. He's shown for Swansea. It almost feels like for him the best the best thing to be to do would be to leave because I don't really yeah. see him coming back and immediately walking into this Arsenal team next season or even the Arsenal squad to be a regular starter. And he needs minutes. He's such a good player. He's clearly a very good player, a talented player. He's going to get better and better with the more minutes he plays. And I don't really see the benefit of him sticking around if he's not really going to get that time here. He could sign a new contract. He could go out on loan again. But then you're just in that kind of limbo world there of being out on loan, coming back, going out on loan. And it feels like he is going to need a, a place to really sort of, you know, just to call his own be his home and really sort of settle down and, and, and to make that move. So, you know, my personal opinion is that I think his future probably still lies elsewhere. But, you know, if he absolutely tears tears the place down the second half of the season at Swansea, then he's going to certainly give Arsenal a decision to make. And, you know, you don't want to be giving away your best young talents. Um, so I think there would be a decision to make ultimately at the end of the season. But I still feel to me that his future probably lies elsewhere. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the only thing I would say is time is sort of still on Patino's side more than maybe others. We, we've we talked about him for a very long time and I hadn't sort of fully tweaked. He has just turned 20. Yeah, two really weeks ago. Happy birthday for a fortnight ago if you're watching, Charlie. So if the right deal doesn't come for Charlie and Arsenal this summer, and I think it should be a very competitive deal, um, if... Patino's happy with it. I think kicking the can down the road with something like a two-year extension, another loan to, I think it looks like the time is coming, a goal and four assists in 11 championship games. It looks like the time is coming for him to test himself in the Premier League. Um, like Arsenal on the, on this occasion, take your time and get as much intel as possible. I think... Well, I think it, that's it, what led to this decision last season in, mm. in the summer. They changed their thinking on it and thought, you know what, well, it's probably better if we do give them another year and then yeah. and re reassess. We all get together and reassess. So I think that's kind of how they are looking at it right now. But I mean, he's. I, I think the advantage of this is, you know, his 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 camp is is full of um, people that that know the industry, that know what they're doing, um, and that won't sort of make a, a an emotional decision. You know that they'll have they'll have an understanding of what the career path is for Charlie, and they'll know that ninety percent of the paths that he could take will, will end up with leaving Arsenal. But it's about getting the right move at the right time, and not just sort of saying, "Right, a Premiership clubs, uh, Premier League clubs come in." It's pick a dysfunctional club at random, Nottingham Forest or Chelsea. Like you know, he, that then don't do that, Charlie. Like go out on loan, take your time because mm. he's so good that he should find the right path in due yeah. course. 
When you look at Arsenal's midfield, I mean, this summer, technically, Jorginho, Elneny and Party could all go. I'm not saying okay. they will, but technically there is a chance that they could, given mm. their contract situations. And then suddenly that pathway that doesn't really exist becomes pretty clear, you know, a lot more clear mm. than it has done. Yes, Arsenal would look to replace those players with some signings, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a wise mood to kind of re- reassess it and, and sit down and talk again in the summer and see how he gets on, see where everyone is. I do still feel, as I said, that he probably, if you're asking me right now where his future lies, it probably lies away from Arsenal. Yeah. But there is certainly still an opportunity there for him to make it here and come back. And it'll be interesting. I just hope he carries on doing what he's doing at Swansea because it's great to see him. Uh, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty soon. I wanted to ask you about this. Did you notice this after? If you haven't, I will send you. Have you noticed it? No. What is this? Right. Let me send you this to have a look. I noticed it. And uh, let me open my WhatsApp and send this to you so you can have a look. Turn the volume down so we don't deafen everyone when you're listening yeah. to it with the with the commentary. Um, but just watch Martinelli after Eddie scores his hat-trick goal. And uh, it's, it's, it, is, it certainly caught my eye when it, when it happened. Um, and David, obviously, David Murphy here has seen it. it. says, hi, lads. Did you see the video of Martinelli after Nketiah's hat-trick goal? I don't particularly think it's an issue and context is key. Just wondered if we could talk about squad harmony in general. I know the Invincibles era, certain players weren't exactly. (laughs) Now, have you you just watched it? I've just watched it. Um, Yeah. Those moments happen though, don't they? I mean, it's... It's... If it were... It, the fact that it's Gabby Martinelli who is, um, by all accounts, kind of just an absolutely lovely guy. Yeah, I think it's probably just a moment where he thought, "I'm in here," and you know, there's not maybe a problem for a forward player to to go, "Oh yeah, Eddie's got his hat trick," but I want my goal, and I get the impression with Gabby that he always wants his goal uh, or his assist. I don't think it's a big dip, but also it's like, it's one of those things that you just sort of note down and you think, let's, let's remember that just to see if, you know, if it, if it ever does, if it transpires a couple of times, because you need yeah. to be able to celebrate the success of others, but I think it's okay. I mean, what did you think? I, I think there might, I think there might've been something more to it. Um, not in terms of anything bad. I think he might've had some sort of injury issue or something and he was just walking off. Cause when you see it, he kind of, almost limps as he's turning mm. and he's kicking his heel and then he walks straight off. He's not walking back. He goes straight over. You can see it later on in a different celebration that he's gone over and he's talking to the coaches. He's having a drink with a couple of the coaches. And it made me think there was potentially he went off a few minutes later Yeah, as well. So it wasn't anything that I was, yeah, I, I had too many issues. And I'm trying to bring up a picture, but I'm failing miserably to do with, it. With AI being what it is today, um, couldn't they just couldn't Arsenal just have sort of replaced him with a bit of floating turf? So I did. There was an, there's another picture of Eddie celebrating his first goal, and no, it's his second goal. Sorry, and Martinelli is the first player to him celebrating yeah. that goal, and you can see it, he's running off as soon as he scores. Swivels hits the top corner. He heads over towards the north bank, you know, the, the corner flag section, and Martinelli's the first player chasing after him to celebrate that goal. So I don't think it was anything between any sort of beef between the two players it did look a bit weird and I remember when I saw it first time I saw the, one of the replays I was like ah, he's, that was a bit odd and other people picked up on it as well but I don't think I don't think it's anything about squad harmony or anything like that I think I think it was more he might have been having some sort of issue with his ankle or something and he was just wanted to go and have a word with one of the coaches straight away and he wasn't feeling particularly happy with with the ankle um but in terms of squad harmony look no one in squads people aren't going to be friends some, well some people aren't going to be close with other players that's just the way it goes you'll have good friends you'll have teammates colleagues but not specifically friends I mean god was it Man United the famous treble team Sheringham and Andy Cole they literally couldn't stand each other could they? and they went and won the treble together scoring loads of goals together so it really doesn't matter if as long as it doesn't spill over into anything serious but I don't think this is anything like that I, th- mm. I think it was something far less serious and I m- my view of it was purely down to injuries or something like that yeah I mean, it's still, having said that, it's quite a harmonious group. Kind of really? Harmonious, I've ever yeah. they, they get on well. They're a, 
you know, that's what happens when you have a, a group where there's a lot of kind of kids, frankly, or we would view them as kids of a similar age. Um, yeah, well. well, this is the last question I'm going to go from Jack, which um, just made me think a little bit. It's like, question, what happens to Arteta at the end of the season if he doesn't win the league, gets knocked out of the Champions League quarterfinal, but wins the Carabao Cup? Um, I mean, nothing, first of all, uh, is, is a simple answer to that. But I wanted to expand that a little bit just to talk about if the, in this, in, taking this question, if say he doesn't, Jack doesn't say here where Arsenal finish in the league, just as where they don't win the league. So say Arsenal finish second to Manchester City, get knocked out of the Champions League by City or Madrid and win the Carabao Cup. Is that a good season? Yeah. Second I in the Premier so. League, quarterfinal with their first time back in the Champions League since 2017 and the trophy. I think that's a good season, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's not the season ideally we all would have wanted, but it's not a bad season, that, is it? If you're finishing second in the Premier League to Manchester City, getting to the quarterfinals and you're winning yourself a trophy. Unless like City win the league with sort of like 78 points, you have 75 and you're like, oh, you know, we left so many on the table. I think you kind of, it, it's very frustrating, uh, I'm sure for Arsenal supporters, to just sort of have to accept this world where you can get everything right or nearly everything right and um, Man City don't really care. Like mm. that's the, the harsh reality. And I think that's why kind of going back to where we were at the top of the show, why if these opportunities open up because City got knocked out of the Carabao Cup, you want to take them because you just sort of have to assume that every other trophy has, has Man City's name on it. Um, mm. You can be you can be the best team you can and, and not catch them. Um, so yeah, I mean... I, and like you say, if he wins a trophy, I mean, even if he doesn't, he, you know, take the Carabao Cup out of that. If they finish, it, it, qualify for the Champions League, get knocked out in the quarterfinals, it's okay. I mean, I always think that's the, the bare yeah. minimum. Nothing's yeah. happening to us uh, if that if that's the case. I think obviously, if maybe say Tottenham win the league rather than City and Arsenal finish <laughs> second behind that, then maybe oh, that God. changes it. Maybe that changes it a little bit in terms of how how it's viewed, but. Don't we don't have time for now, but one day we should ha- we should sort of like sketch out the scenario of what would actually have to happen this season for Arteta to get sacked. Yeah, a lot, a lot, I, a lot I would have to say. Yeah, not um, certainly not a second place finish to Manchester City in a quarterfinal in the in the Champions League. Look, we're heading up to about 55 minutes. And I am going to have to bail now because I've got to go and get my daughter. Um, uh, so, yeah, cheers for joining me. As always, James, you're not at West Ham tomorrow, are you? No, I am. I oh, you am. are. I shall see I'm you in the Hold on, I'll see you there. I will see you in the press box if I can find it. Honestly, finding the press entrance at West Ham is like the crystal maze. It's like competing a game in a crystal maze. It's so hard. Well, no, I think you'll enjoy this and it won't take you too long, but I think we get one of these very special occasions that happens at the London Stadium where the football is on at the exact same time as um, Abba's, the Avatar thing. So if you get on the DLR to Pudding Mill Lane, you will have a mixture of West Ham fans, many of whom may well have been boozing for a little while, and people dressed in their finest disco attire for their night out of Abba. And many of them may well have been boozing for a little while. So it is a great bit of fun to uh, nice. on your way to the London Stadium. And there's going to be about six or 7,000 Arsenal as well. Yeah, it nice. will definitely have been boozing, I'm sure. Should be a decent atmosphere. All right, cool. I'll see you then, mate. And to everyone else, thank you very much for watching or listening. As always, I'll be back tomorrow uh, for my usual daily show, building up to that West Ham game. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. Or uh, probably next week. Well, we got Champions League next week, haven't we? Yeah, after so that. We're at home on Wednesday. So yeah, probably another Tuesday show, I imagine, next week, or or maybe a Thursday, maybe a reaction, um, reaction extra time. I to, think uh, it'll be a Thursday to the I'll Champions League. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. All right, mate. Have a good one. I'll speak to you very, you very soon. Bye bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 